Welcome to the 231st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Travis Smith, author of Superhero Ethics, 10 Comic Book Heroes, 10 Ways to Save the World, Which One Do We Need Most Now? Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Travis Smith, author of the new book, Superhero Ethics, 10 Comic Book Heroes, 10 Ways to Save the World, and Which One Do We Need Most Now? Smith received his PhD from Harvard University and is Associate Professor of Political Science at Concordia University. Travis Smith, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me on the show today, Jeff. It's a real pleasure to be here. Great. Well, as I mentioned, your new book is Superhero Ethics. What motivated you to write this book at this time? Well, um, I teach political philosophy at Concordia, often to classes of undergraduates, 100 students in size. And I teach old books. I teach classical Greek philosophy right through to late modern philosophy. And I'm always trying to find ways to make the material that I'm teaching interesting, relevant, familiar, uh, because there's a tendency to think that maybe these old ideas and these old arguments are now obsolete and of no longer any real use to us today. And so one of the things I tend to do uh, a lot in class is I tend to make a lot of popular culture references of a, of, a, of a wide variety of kinds to make sure that, you know, given an extremely diverse student body in front of me with diverse interests over the course of the semester, hopefully if I touch on the Gilmore Girls at least once or if I touch upon uh, you know, something that's in the pop charts today, the most recently released uh, pop video that's gone viral on YouTube or things like superhero movies, uh, that there's always going to be somebody in the class who gets what I'm saying in order to make an illustration of the points I'm trying to to make with respect to these old books. And uh, given that I'm a lifelong uh, sort of reader of comic book stories and superhero moviegoer, um, I, uh, I I tend to make recourse to those examples fairly frequently. And I and I had the opportunity to write a book that. Uh, that combined these two interests of mine, you know, uh, superhero stories, uh, classical ethics and political theory, and, and, and put them together and, and, and try to see if I engage in sort of a long-form sustained analysis of this genre, given my sort of scholarly background, uh, what would turn out of it? And superhero ethics is the product of that. And so what was your own personal um, experience of discovering superheroes in comic books? Well, I was thinking about this recently and I think watching Super Friends and Saturday morning cartoons um, was where I first got exposed to these. Green Lantern was my favorite on Challenge of the Super, Super Friends, probably because I liked his arch nemesis Sinestro best. Um, and then uh, when I was sort of uh, preteen years, I had a number of friends or relatives that were comic book readers, and so I would borrow their books or read them when I was visiting, uh, and then got into them that way. And uh, Uncanny X-Men, uh, in the sort of early mid-80s, those stories were the ones that really uh, got me reading comic books. Rogue was my favorite superhero when I was a preteen teenager, Rogue from the X-Men. Uh, uh, Anna Paquin played her in the movies. 
Um, and so that's sort of where I got into them uh, when I was younger. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, superhero movies are breaking box office records on a routine basis. The Marvel Universe is now releasing three movies a year. DC movies haven't fared quite as well, with the exception of Wonder Woman. What is the enduring appeal of superheroes in our culture? I think that's an interesting question, Jeff. Um, I think that uh, modern society does a lot to suppress, neglect, discourage the impulses within ourselves that lend themselves to the heroic. Um, this is something that if you read early modern philosophy, the likes of Thomas Hobbes and John Locke was by design. We wanted people to be less concerned with honor and less concerned with glory seeking because these are the kinds of things that, that get us in a lot of trouble and uh, pit us against each other and make us take uh, non-tangible, immaterial things too seriously. And if instead we only focused on uh, the this-worldly, maybe we could learn to get along better. Um, and yet, nevertheless, this part, uh, this inclination in us d doesn't go away. We still, uh, we still feel this pull toward the honorable and the noble in us and to admire people and praise people who put it on display on behalf of the community or on behalf of humankind. And so I think that uh, if we don't have uh, that as something um, motivating us in the sort of pre-modern way in our everyday lives so much anymore, uh, it's still the case that in our in our entertainment, uh, uh, even in our juvenile amusements, uh, this will speak to us there. We find an outlet for that part of our uh, the human condition uh, out out there in, in those stories. So I think that speaks to part of why they're so popular. And so I want to ask you a question that's in the subtitle of your subtitle of your book. Which superhero do we need the most right now, in your opinion? Well, in the book, I came to what was a conclusion that was surprising even to me at the time. Um, I, I drew the the what might be sort of the unconventional or unlikely conclusion that Thor was the one I was going to say that for right now. Um, there are qualities of his character that we could see would be uh, worth admiring and emulating. Um, I know that the popular answers to this question are usually Batman or maybe Spider-Man or Superman. Um, and, uh, and, and, and something about uh, the, the political culture today. I don't know how, how much I want to name names. Uh, <laughs> something about the political culture today had me being sort of... Um, concerned about the degree of incivility in society in our public discourse today. And so I saw Thor as really representing uh, civility and showing respect for people uh, in the way he inter interacts with all human beings. Uh, and, and so I, I went with that for now. As, as you point out rightly, the book does say for now, and different hero might be the right hero for different circumstances and different times. Um, but I was watching, let's say, uh, speeches and rallies on the internet a lot while I was also writing this book and, and the, the concern for incivility and seeing Thor as someone who was uh, emblematic of civility uh, made me choose him uh, for, the, for the current time and situation. That's great. Well, you mentioned Rogue of the X-Men earlier. Is there a particular superhero who is currently your personal favorite? No, Rogue was my favorite when I was a teenager, um, which I fear may give a little too much away about my own neuroses growing up. Um, nowadays, Captain Marvel, who used to be Ms. Marvel, is my favorite. I started around 15 years ago. She supplanted Green Lantern as my favorite, who is my favorite most of my life. 
Um, but yeah, Carol Danvers, who's got a who got a movie coming out in March of 2019. It'll be the uh, apart from Wonder Woman, uh, the first uh, female lead superhero movie, the first one in the Marvel universe. I know that uh, this weekend, tomorrow, Ant Man and the Wasp comes out. So Wasp is uh, sharing the billing on that one. But Captain Marvel is my favorite, and she and her movie starts uh, comes out next year. And it's uh, rumored that she's going to have a huge part in the next Avengers as well. I'll just point that out. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I think that it's a massive opportunity for Marvel to introduce a character who will not only be your strong role model for uh, young women or girls to look up to and dress up as at Halloween. Um, I take her to be a sort of inspirational character uh, who's sort of based on the idea that uh, – uh, whatever has happened to you in your life, uh, it's up to you to try to make uh, yourself into the best version of yourself so that you can be happier and that you can be of the uh, most use to the people around you who depend on you. And so uh, it, it has the benefit of both being something that should be a great female hero for the female audience. But I think just generally speaking, in terms of character, I don't think that char good character has a gender and I think she'll be, uh, if, if, if the movie's done rightly, she'll be uh, uh, somebody that all people can admire as a character. That's interesting. Um, so I had, a, I had a question for you. You mentioned the, the idea of Thor and civility and, uh, and public discourse. I, I wonder, and um, I'm trying to kind of uh, articulate this question um, as it occurs to me, um, oftentimes you see, especially if you're if you're familiar with internet culture, whether it's uh, Twitter or Instagram or or Facebook, and specifically memes. And I've noticed over the last um, you know five, six, seven years as those platforms have, have grown and matured, that oftentimes you will see people use. Uh, pop culture references, um, and specifically as we're talking about here, superheroes to comment on, um, the political, the politics of the day. Um, or, or Captain Jean-Luc Picard face palming. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, and then it's interesting too, because oftentimes, um, you will have people, some of the feedback will be, you know, why are you, um, using this fictional character to comment on, you know, something that, that, you know, has real world impact. I'm just wondering what you think about that, of, of this kind of melding that you see, especially around kind of meme culture where you, where you do see, um, you know, superheroes um, being used to address kind of politics of the day. I see a couple of questions there, Jeff. Um, <laughs> Maybe I didn't uh, articulate it very well. No, no, no. Yeah. But I'm going to parse it into, into two, if I can give a two-part answer. Um, sure. Uh, so the first thing is about social media, just in general. I don't, I, I, I tend to avoid it like the plague. I tried Facebook for a few months once 10 years ago and turned it off. Um it's just not good for my personality. <laughs> I, I tend to be, as, as as many comic book collectors are, I tend to be more on the obsessive, compulsive, addictive side. And so social media is a real poison for someone who has those issues. Um, but I also think, generally speaking, it, it can be a real poison for society. I know it has its uses and it can be productive and constructive of, of some things. But at, at the level of the kind of discourse that we've been reduced to in tweets, um, 
it, it, it's very difficult to, you know, offer, you know, a reasoned argument, right? It's very, very difficult to offer nuance. It's diff very difficult to think in a complex way. It's very difficult to, you know, give multiple sides and perspectives their due. Um, and instead, it seems to devolve into a shouting match that lends itself to incivility. It lends itself to righteous indignation and outrage and, you know, um, harassment and regrettable in terms of uh, the way society is going. I mean, um, uh, Bob Putnam in his uh, Bowling Alone research claimed that television was the cause of a disappearance of civil society and voluntary associations. Um, and I think there's something plausible about that just in the way in which the internet, I think, has contributed to the coarsening of public discourse. Um, uh, but, but, that all said, and I know that I here I come across as a Luddite or a fuddy-duddy or not with it or, you know, something like that. But I, I, I try to, I try to, you know, I see my wife scrolling through her social media pages and I'm asking her, why, why are you doing that? What, what good is coming out of that rather than what sort of misery is being generated by it? Do a cost-benefit analysis. Um, that said, uh, with respect to things like pop culture memes being used as part of the discourse in politics or philosophy, obviously writing a book like superhero ethics says that's a, that's not a bad thing to do. Uh, I mentioned I teach classical philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, Plato, when he was making his arguments, he would talk about the stories that Homer told, right? He would talk about Achilles or Odysseus and the, the great heroes, effectively the superheroes, the demigods, of their pantheon, of their culture, in order to, to provide examples that people could understand and work with while he then proceeded to argue with and against them. Uh, and superhero ethics is sort of in that vein in which I think that, well, two things. Um, philosophy is not something that's only for really sophisticated, snooty people. Um, and Popular culture uh, is something that uh, that people who fancy themselves sophisticated uh, shouldn't just sneer at. And I think that uh, that I'm sort of a, a fan of the Socratic idea that you start with the everyday, the ordinary opinions of of people. That's why I will listen to talk radio once in a while. That's why I will read the pages on Reddit, even though I won't post there. I want to find out what, you know, people are saying. I try to stay away from the bottom half of the internet and the comment sections, but they are informative in order to understand what people are saying and thinking. Um, but then uh, you can use them to get an appreciation for different perspectives that people have, even if you completely disagree with them or totally appalled by them. I'm a fan of telling my students to try to engage in generous reading, try to really understand on the best possible terms the views of people with whom you strongly disagree if you want to offer, in the end, really compelling criticisms of them. Uh, and so uh, the model of philosophy that I tend to follow in my teaching and that superhero ethics as a book is based on is one in which uh, there's a continuum and, and the conversation between uh, popular culture and and philosophy, uh, as well as uh, popular culture and our political discourse, is one that uh, to me makes perfectly good sense. Great. Well, 
I think it's probably kind of an odd question given what we've talked about so far in terms of the, the popularity of, of these characters and specifically at this point in time, the, the movies, the uh, superhero movies. But do you would you foresee a time when superheroes will fade in terms of popularity? Yeah, I, I think that that's sort of going to happen. I mean, we're seeing right now with Star Wars uh, a bit of fatigue setting in. Um, I think that the superhero stories are told best when they're told at the human level, uh, when the characters and their situations can be seen as metaphorical or analogous for the kinds of difficulties, challenges, struggles that we all face in our everyday lives. Um, and I think those stories have, I think, uh, more impact, uh, are, are more meaningful. Uh, but a lot of them are pitched at the cosmic level in order to save the world or guard the galaxy uh, against some apocalyptic ca catastrophe or cataclysm in which everything's at stake. And, it, and that takes place at a scale that we as viewers can only sit by and, and, and ooh and awe and cheer and fear. Um, and I think that those kinds of stories are exhausting. And I think that those kinds of stories don't really speak to us. Uh, they, they're alienating. And similarly, I think that uh, our, our politics, when our politics gets depicted in that fashion as if everything is cataclysmic and apocalyptic and everything is at stake, it puts us ordinary citizens in a position where we feel helpless. Like all we could do is be on the sidelines watching and cheering and fearing like uh, bystanders when the Avengers are fighting an alien invasion. Um, I think that if they want them, to, if they want to keep telling these stories that have some sort of meaningful impact, that they, they should tell the ones that are on a human scale. And uh, in, in, in superhero ethics, one of the things I, I was trying to do actually when I was looking at the ten superheroes that I conduct my critical assessments of, I, I tried to I tried to humanize them. I tried to take you know disregard the fantastical elements or only consider them insofar as I could read them metaphorically for the kinds of abilities or situations that ordinary human beings have, um, because that's, that's when they're relevant to us. Sure. Well, um, I'm curious in, in many surveys, uh, adherence to organized religion is going down in North America. Uh, do you think that trend will impact our culture's embrace of superhero myths at some point? That, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I know that the social science research is is ambivalent on this. Sometimes they say that certain religious association memberships are on the decline and other ones are on the increase. And there's usually this observation that the religious organizations that 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 uh, demand more on adherence are the ones that tend to thrive more and the ones that demand less of us, the ones where the religious teaching and the secular teaching of societies coincide more are the ones where uh, religious affiliation tends to decline. Um, but right, I still think that uh, even without uh, faith in a divine savior, right, a Lord in heaven or something like that, that will come to save us all uh, on judgment day, uh, there, there's probably something in us as human beings that looks to heroes. Uh, I said that previously, right? That there's something in us that admires heroes and, and finds people, finds certain kinds of behavior and character praiseworthy, even if in modern society we're usually, uh, you know, concerned about people who are concerned too much about bravery, 
encourage. We tend to be thinking that those people cause more trouble than they they solve. And in modern society, we tell ourselves that you know, uh, don't try to be hero. That's that's good advice. Um, but still, uh, given all the con- all the situations in our lives in which we can feel powerless, in which we do feel like we're at the mercy of vast generalized causes regarding which we have no recourse, um, I think there's going to be a tendency to be looking for champions, to be looking for heroes, to be looking for saviors, uh, if only in this world, if we no longer uh, have much... Uh, uh, faith in the world to come, I don't think that gets rid of the impulse to have uh, such a figure uh, in this world to come to our rescue. Great. Well, do you still read comic books today? Some. And are there any specific uh, books or series that you would recommend or that you're really enjoying? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Uh, I have been partial to the recent series, Ms. Marvel, featuring Kamala Khan, a relatively new character. I am a fan of uh, the stories about Miles Morales, the new Spider-Man. My son and I, for seven years now, we've read each new issue as it came out at bedtime the night it came out. Uh, It's sort of a father-son tradition that we have. Um, so there's three off the top of my head to start. Great. Well, that's all the questions I had. Did you have any final thoughts about superheroes in our culture today? Um, that's a dangerous question to ask me, Jeff. <laughs> my wife would tell you, you'll never get me to shut up. Um, no, that's great, Jeff. I really appreciate you, have, appreciate you having me on the podcast today. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Travis Smith, author of Superhero Ethics, 10 Comic Book Heroes, 10 Ways to Save the World, and Which One Do We Need Most Now? If this topic interests you, grab a copy of the book today. And Travis, thanks for doing this interview. It's been, it's been a real thrill. Thanks. Great. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.